You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. ...that he's got everything under control and that he's making things happen. He's obviously a man of prayer and he is leaning on God's wisdom and God's instruction Um, His prayer in chapter 1 is one of the great prayer revival prayers in the Bible. He's the right man. He's leaning on the right source. And not only that, he's there at just the right time. The fact that that God has him in the palace with the king means that he's there at the right time. All of these things are coming together to be the man to build the wall. After hearing the condition of the wall, Nehemiah waits, though not just at the right time, he also waits for the right time. Meaning that he doesn't just jump in once he hears about the condition of the wall. He waits four months before approaching the king. And even when he brings it up to the king, he prays again after waiting four months. Uh, He waits another four seconds, as we said last week, to pray and ask God for wisdom and direction. And we need to learn from Nehemiah that, that trusting God is not just a trust in the big things, but also in the trust, a trusting in the small things. That we don't just rely on God for the big things we can't control, but even in our personal interactions, we stop and pray and lean on God and depend on Him for help. So you have the right man, he's trusting in the right source at the right time, and he believes in the right timing. And that leads us to kind of the fourth main point about Nehemiah here in chapter 2, in that he's only interested in doing God's work the right way. The right man, the right source, the right timing and he wants to do it the right way. Nehemiah is truly passionate about God's work being accomplished. We know that. But he's also balanced because he's unwilling to do the right thing the wrong way. He wants to rebuild the wall, but just as important to him is how it gets done. If you want to build something that lasts, it's got to be done the right way. And you've learned that in your workplace and in your, in your schoolwork, young people, that, that if you want to really learn, if you want to really get it, if you want to really master it, you've got to do things the right way. So Nehemiah comes into the king, and the king notices his countenance, and, and he asks Nehemiah what's going on, and Nehemiah just cuts to the chase. He says, the city of my father's Jerusalem, it lies in waste, the gates are burned down, it's in really bad shape, king. So the king says, well, what do you need? And Nehemiah prays, and then he begins his request. And it is here in his request, in verses 5 down through verse 8, that, I, that we start to see Nehemiah's mindset toward doing things the right way. He's not just interested in getting this done, he's interested in getting it done right. He wants to do it God's way. And the first thing that I see here is that he refused to proceed without authority. Nehemiah refused to proceed without authority. Look at his request in verse 5. And I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight. Now it's obvious that Nehemiah is respectful of the king and, and and the king's position. And you don't get the sense that Nehemiah is just just kind of kissing up to the king. You don't get the sense that he's just trying to shine the king on and saying, oh, king, if it please thee and if thy servant have found favor. No, you get the idea that Nehemiah is a truly humble man. You get the idea that he's very respectful for the king and his position. And that humility kind of leads us to this first point 
about Nehemiah's approach to authority. Nehemiah follows his chain of command. Nehemiah is not willing to work outside of his authority. And here's a, something that came to me this week that I think is good for us um, to, to think about when we're trying to, to serve or we're trying to work or we're trying to do something, and that is this. Don't go forward until you know, you know that you're under. Don't go forward until you know that you're under. Meaning, don't take the next step, don't go forward, don't try to accomplish something without making sure that your authority is on board with it. See, a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, they're gung-ho and they want to move forward, they want to do all these things, and, and I'm thankful for the, the, the passion and, uh, from God's people, it's, it's, it's good, but it's the right way to go through the proper channels of authority when you're doing the Lord's work. I love initiative. I do. I'm thankful for those that have initiative. I'm thankful that I walk around at times and I see Eastside Baptist Church members having initiative to do something and to get something done. Uh, initiative is a good thing. Um, we, though, with our children at times, initiative could kind of wear on you a little bit. Meaning... You know the old Patch song? You, uh, you've probably heard this. Um, initiative. That's the way. You haven't heard it. Okay, I'll sing it and embarrass myself. Initiative. That's the way to make us joyful every day. Initiative. See a task. Do it before you're asked. Any, anybody in here heard that song before? Okay, a lot of parents sing that to their children. Initiative. Get on it. But you know, we've had some children where we're like, no, don't, no initiative, please. We'll come in and we're like, no, I, I'm thankful for your, your initiative, but we didn't ask you to paint the refrigerator today. <laughs> I mean, initiative is a good thing, but initiative isn't all that helpful to move forward unless you're under. Unless your authority is saying, okay, this is good initiative, you go forward, you move forward. There have been plenty of times in my, in my life where I get an idea and I and, you know, I want to move forward with it, but if I don't, but then I, I do it, and I, but I don't have the blessing of the, the authority, or, or I don't have the, the right people backing what I want to do, and, and it kind of falls apart. Initiative is good, but you shouldn't move forward unless you're under. Be careful, folks, not to be a Lone Ranger Christian. See, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful, again, for initiative, but a local church has a structure of authority that's set up and we, listen, we don't need an environment. We can't have an environment that functions in unity if every person does that which is right in their own eyes. You know, so it's not a matter of control. It's a matter of making sure we're all on the same page. Just as an example, you know, I, just standing up here tonight and I'm, I'm standing here leading the choir and, and I was thinking during practice, what if right now I told the choir, okay, we're going to, Miss Sherilyn's going to give us a starting note and all of you just start singing whatever you want to sing. Ready? Go. Now, everyone would have had their phones out tonight. Okay, we need to record this train wreck, okay? This choir selection is called train wreck. All right, there we go. Now, would that work in a choir setting? If I said, okay, everyone, you sing this song at the tempo that you want to sing it. If you feel like it should be, 
60 beats per minute, you go ahead. If you want it to be 120 beats per minute, if you want to do 80, that's fine. Everyone just sing it at the tempo that you want to sing it. How well do you think that would work? It wouldn't. And again, phones out, train wreck. Train wreck part two. You know, we, we say, well, that wouldn't work in a choir setting, or that wouldn't work in this setting or that setting. But it seems like sometimes in a local church, uh, people think, well, if I have initiative, I can just do whatever, and I'm going to go do it and get it done. No, there's a structure, there's an authority structure even in a local church. And if, we're, if we want unity in a local church, we need to operate to move forward underneath that structure of authority. Anytime the Lord's work is going to get done the right way, we learn from Nehemiah that God blesses submission to authority. I mean, even when you don't understand. And listen, there will be plenty of things you don't understand. There will be plenty of times where you may not even agree or you don't see it, but God's hand is on the Christian who's willing to submit to authority. I'm just telling you, it's a principle that, that we need to hear and we, we need to understand even when we don't get it. Submit to authority and God blesses you for it. Don't go forward until you're under. So Nehemiah, that's the first thing that I see here. Nehemiah also lets the king know his intentions. In other words, he doesn't leave his boss in the dark. He's not trying to work around the issue or not trying to go around the authority structure. No, he comes very clearly out and says, The city lies in waste. Please send me there to rebuild the walls. There's nothing hidden here. Nehemiah makes a clear request, but notice though, he doesn't say in verse 5, uh, and if thy servant hath sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah. He says that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may rebuild it. Notice he doesn't say, King, my request is that you just let, that you let me go. You realize? He doesn't say, my request is, King, that you just kind of just give me a green light. I'm going to do, go do my own thing. No, he says, send me. And there's a big difference between let me go and send me. Right? It's significant because let me go implies that Nehemiah is the one in charge. But send me implies Nehemiah is not interested in moving forward without his authority's blessing. That idea comes through in this whole passage, and you'll see it here. So the king's response to him in verse 6 is the king said unto me the queen also sitting by him uh, and he goes and says uh, then he starts asking questions I don't know why, why, why Nehemiah would say the, king, the queen was also sitting by him unless it was just one other layer of accountability I don't know maybe he's a name dropper who knows maybe he's like yeah I know the, king, the queen too no I don't know what his purpose was but we know that he wasn't being subversive or he wasn't going behind anybody's back he's right out in the open he's saying here's my plan would you please allow me to go? Would you send me to go? The second thing that I see in Nehemiah here is that his past reputation opens future doors. So the first thing is that he was not willing to move forward without authority. The second is that his past reputation opens future doors. Look at what the king, look at the, queen, the king's question in verse 6. He says, For how long shall thy journey be? And when will thou return? Now, one thing that's obvious to me, based on the king's response, is he's not interested in losing Nehemiah permanently. Now, it's a good sign that the king asks, how long do you plan to be gone, and when, when are you going to be back? See, if his response had been, oh yeah, sure, yeah, Nehemiah, sure, go, here's some money, 
here's some paperwork, here's an army, you go, take your time, don't worry about coming back. Then Nehemiah probably starts to think, uh, I wonder uh, how, how good of a job I'm doing here in the king's court. No, the king is not interested in losing Nehemiah permanently. He trusts Nehemiah. He doesn't want to lose him for good. And there's a few lessons that we can learn from Nehemiah's reputation with the king. And that is, number one, serve in such a way that you'll be missed. Serve in such a way that you will be missed. You, you, you should always strive to do what you can, the best that you can, with enough faithfulness and, the, and enough integrity that people don't like the idea of you being gone. I mean, you should serve in such a way and be consistent enough that if you were to leave your spot, if you were to leave your post, that there's a massive hole that somebody's going to have to fill. And my question tonight is, members of Eastside Baptist Church, if, you, if your job was to move you this week and you weren't here next Sunday, would there be a hole? Would anybody really, I know people would notice that you're gone, but would it leave a hole anywhere? Would there be a hole big enough that we're scrambling next Sunday morning saying, well, they're gone now. What are we going to do about this? Oh, no, that didn't get done. Oh, they must take care of that. I didn't even know they took care of that. What kind of hole would you leave if you left your post? Because here's Nehemiah working in such a way that the king's saying, yeah, how long are you going to be gone? But when are you going to be back? I don't want to do this without you. You need to come back soon and serve in such a way that you'll be missed. Be the kind of person that's so dependable and so consistent and so humble that people want you around. Be the kind of person that people know that you're going to be there on time. That you're going to be in your place. That your position is not going to go unfilled. You're going to be where you're supposed to be every time. And by the way, as we have the authority structure already mentioned here tonight, if you're going to not be in your place, let your authority know. Let somebody know. If you're a Sunday school teacher and you're not going to be there on a Sunday morning, call Brother Mark Griebel, who's the Sunday school superintendent, as soon as you can and tell him, listen, I don't want to leave anybody in a lurch. I want to be in my spot, but I can't. And I'm going to be gone this Sunday. And I wanted to let you know so that you would be the one finding out from me and you could have an opportunity to find somebody to fill that spot. It just goes without saying this is natural, basic stuff. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you learn on your first job. I mean, when you were 15 years old and you got your first job at Kentucky Fried Chicken or whatever it is, I don't know, maybe I'm hungry. Does anybody bring fried chicken tonight? Because now I'm hungry for it, okay? You got your first job at Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and the first time that you didn't show up for work and you didn't call your boss, did they look at that favorably? Would they look at that favorably? No. That's a basic of life, is that if you're not going to be in your place, you let your authority know. That, that, that is the proper channel of authority. But serve in such a way that you'll be missed. And another thing is not just about dependability or faithfulness, but don't be so difficult to work with or demanding in your area of service that people are relieved when, you're, when you move along. I mean, here's the king, and he's saying... Uh, he's saying, I know this is tough stuff. I'm just, I'm just giving you what I saw in the passage, okay? I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but we all agree 
that, I mean, we've probably worked with people in our lives, and it's like when they go on vacation, everyone's like, okay, that's two weeks off for everybody. (laughs) You've worked with people like that, haven't you? You know, don't be that person at work. Don't be that person at home. Young people, don't have such an attitude at home with your parents that when you're gone for the evening, it's like, wow, what a relief tonight. We have peace and we have calm and we have quiet. I mean, there were times in my life as a young person that I think my, pro- my parents probably were thankful when I worked in the evening because my attitude wasn't good. Young people, don't be that way. Be the kind of person that anytime you're around, not only are you dependable to be in your spot and you're faithful to be there, but you also have a good enough spirit that people are like, man, I miss them. I wish they didn't have to work tonight. I wish they were around. Be that kind of a person. Here's Nehemiah serving in such a way that if he's gone, he's going to be missed. The second thing I see in, in, this, in his reputation here based on the king's response is to be faithful no matter how you feel. Be faithful no matter how you feel. So here's the king saying, well, how long are you going to be gone and when are you going to get back? Obviously, Nehemiah had served very well for the king. Or the king would be like, yeah, go, please, don't come back. No, the king wants him to come back, which means that Nehemiah had served faithfully no matter how he felt because you know for these four months, Nehemiah's heart was in Jerusalem. For four months, all he can think about is the walls are broken down, The city lies in waste. It's desolate. Things are in bad shape. You know for four months that Nehemiah's heart is in Jerusalem. He's thinking about the city of his fathers. But what's interesting is that we can tell by the king's response that he did not, Nehemiah did not allow his heart in Jerusalem, what he really felt like, to hinder his cheerful service and responsibility. We know that because the king earlier said, you've never been sad in my presence before. What's going on? He was so consistently cheerful. He was so consistent and and cheerful and faithful in his responsibility that the king's thinking, you know, I don't want to lose this guy. Be faithful to your task no matter how you feel. Even when your heart sometimes, and listen, we shouldn't stay here, but there are times when our heart won't be in it. I'm just being honest with you. You say, well, you're not supposed to be that transparent. You're a preacher, okay? Let me be transparent. There are times when on a Sunday morning I wake up and boy, I just don't, I don't know that I feel like preaching. Can I be honest? You're like, well, yeah, that's true. There's lots of times where we don't feel like hearing you preach either. Okay, I get it. I understand. I get it. You don't always feel like you want to feel. Anybody else? Has that ever happened to anybody else in this room? Okay, thank you for the transparency and honest. I was on an island there for a minute. I feel feeling kind of bad. Be faithful no matter how you feel. We don't always feel up to it, but here's a sign of spiritual maturity is that no matter how you feel, you're in your place, you're on time every time. You know, we have seasons, all of us have seasons of ups and downs, and I've heard some say, well, I don't want to be a hypocrite, I don't feel like it, and so I don't want to be a hypocrite, so I'm just not going to fake it. No, that's the wrong perspective. Obedience should be done with cheerfulness, but in seasons when it's hard, we're not exempt from obedience. The right thing is to be obedient and cheerful. But even in the times where you're having to really force yourself to do that, just because you can't be as cheerful as you want to be, doesn't mean that God says, okay, you don't have to be obedient today. No, we should pray and ask God to bring our hearts back to where they need to be. But in the meantime, obey. 
See, when we obey, the Bible says something about God then kind of helps us to understand. He gives us those desires. He changes us. But if we, if we just kind of step away from everything because we don't feel like it, then I think we, we delay the process of revival or refreshing and coming back to the place where we're supposed to be. God is much more likely to align your heart when you're in obedience than he will when you're in disobedience. So just keep obeying, just keep doing the right thing. I would rather have God realign me than have to reprimand me. The third thing I see from Nehemiah here, and this is the longer one, is that we, we ought to view our responsibility as being so important that it requires thought and planning. We ought to view our responsibility as being so important that it requires thought and planning. So it pleased the king to send me, and he, Nehemiah says, I set him a time. So here's the conversation. Nehemiah looks sad in the king's presence. The king says, what's wrong? I haven't seen you like this before. Nehemiah says, my city, my, the, father, or the city of my father's lies in waste. It's desolate. The gates are burned down. And the king says, what do you want me to do? Nehemiah says, let me go and rebuild the walls. The king then says, how long are you going to be there? When are you going to be back? And so this is a short conversation. It's not like this is a, a long conversation. The Neo, and then Nehemiah, though, very clearly says, it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Here's Nehemiah. He comes to this meeting, doesn't even know if it's going to be a meeting for sure, but he's already prepared for it. You realize Nehemiah had already given thought to the plans? He had already given thought to what he was going to do. He's already prepared. He didn't just throw something out there. He's had uh, four months to think about it. Four months to think about it. We know based on all of his requests here that he's thought through everything. And because the king could tell he'd done his homework, it says that it pleased the king to send me. Listen, when you've proven yourself and planned accordingly, your authorities are much more likely to be on board with it. In my other position on staff, my, my former pastor used to say, if you have a request or or if you have something that you're asking for, I want to see that you've done your homework already so that I can make an informed decision about what you're asking. I want you to show me that you've thought through this and you're not just depending on me to think through it by asking me the question. I want to see in detail that you prove that you have thought through this. See, a lot of, there's a lot of people that are kind of impulsively throwing ideas out there and as a leader, as a boss, and some of you in here, you are over people, you work over people, and you know, you can tell that people haven't really thought through the question. They're trying to get you to do the work and think through the question for them. Well, it's good for us to take the initiative before we go and try to ask a question or make a request to have a plan. Think about it yourself. If you've proven yourself and planned accordingly, your authority is much more likely to be on board with what you're asking. Some people make requests to do certain things or spend certain money or have an exception made for them, but it's hard for an authority to decide those things sometimes if the person hasn't proven themselves to be faithful in the basics. We have a lot, there are a lot of people that, that think, well, I'll ask for the big stuff, but they haven't proven themselves in the small stuff. At work, that could mean being on time or not taking a longer lunch than you're supposed to. 
I mean, ever want to take a step up and have more opportunities, you should prove yourself, you should have a reputation that you take care of the small things, that you're not just going to come in and ask for something big. You've proven yourself on a daily basis. At church, the basics begin, and let me just say it this way as clearly as I can. Those that were in the Sunday school or children's ministry meeting last week know this, but at church, the basic to be the basics that we begin for leadership with is consistent church attendance. You want to be in a position of leadership or have a position of responsibility. The first qualification to lead as a teacher or as a deacon or as a ministry head is to be in church. If you'll take care of that basic, you'll see more opportunities come your way. Another basic is dealing with others with a good attitude, a right spirit. There are plenty of talented people. Some of the most talented people that I've ever known never got very many opportunities because of their attitude. Go to the basics. Work on the basics. Be faithful. Be, be, be dependable. Be on time. Be, uh, have a good spirit. Have a good attitude. Another point here of viewing our responsibility seriously is that we think oh, Nehemiah obviously had thought through this project. He, he had given thought to it. And if we're going to, to, to have more opportunities, then we need to take seriously the opportunities that we have right now. In other words, if you teach a Sunday school class, or if you help in junior church and you teach a lesson, the way to do it like Nehemiah did it is to start planning as early as possible. If it's Saturday night for you, and you're just now looking at the passage, it's probably too late for you to bring something to people, that, to those children that really is going to have the depth that they need. We often don't do all that we should in our areas of service because of either procrastination or being impulsive. We put it off to the last minute or we just wait till the last minute to do something. A person's reputation and preparation are much more likely to breed confidence in their authorities. So at work, if you have a tough time getting there on time or getting done with a project on time, don't be surprised if you missed out on a promotion or a raise. I can tell you this, authorities are looking for the basics. They're looking to see, can people do the simple, small, minimal requirements before they get something else? If you miss details because you don't take the time to think through a project from start to finish, it shouldn't surprise you if you miss future opportunities. Our reputation and preparation gives confidence. It pleased the king, Nehemiah said. It pleased the king to send me. Nehemiah was so prepared that the end of the verse says, and I set him a time. Nehemiah already knew how long it was going to take. He already had a reputation of reliability, so the king didn't doubt it. Here's the thing. Nehemiah had probably been to work on time every day. So when the king says, how long do you think it's going to take? And Nehemiah says, says I set him a time. The king's not wondering, well, I wonder if this is uh, your, your, your work arrival time at like 8.06, 8.07 in the morning. Or I wonder if this is actually the real time. You know, because sometimes we say, yeah, I set him a time. Oh, I'll be done in this amount of time. But because we've proven ourselves to not be consistent in the small things, then, then our authorities are like, well, I don't, I don't know that I really believe that it's going to be that amount of time. Well, here's Nehemiah, a man who had proven himself so consistently 
that the king, he, the king's like, okay, whatever you say, Nehemiah, you're proven, you're reliable, you're dependable, you're faithful. You set me a time. I believe that you will keep to the time that you've given me. The king buys in. So how dependable is your word? I mean, if you say, oh, I'll be on time to the couples class on Sunday, based on your history, would Brother Chad believe that? Or would he have to suppress a chuckle? And brother, this is bad because brother Chad's not here tonight. So he had a sick kid and they had to go back. But you know, your word, would people, do people believe your word? If you say, I will be on time, what does your past say? What's your reputation of? If you say, as a Sunday school teacher or nursery worker, I'll be there 15 minutes before class begins because I've submitted to the church, nursery, and Sunday school policies, would people take that seriously based on your track record? Are we, are we coming in 15 minutes before? Are we coming in right when it's time to start? If you were the one making this request in Nehemiah 2, how likely would your request be answered with confidence based on your reputation? Folks, we're doing important work. We're doing important work. The advancement of God's kingdom is affected by what we're doing through Eastside Baptist Church. This is significant. We're we're affecting people's eternity through the gospel. We're reaching and teaching and discipling and serving. And if it's for God, it deserves our very best. It deserves excellence. We should approach this place what we do in this building, in this room, in our classrooms. We should approach what we do to serve God with just as much passion or more passion and more energy and more desire for excellence than we do anything else. Let's anticipate what God might do in a service or in some child's life by starting our preparation early. And thinking, I am anticipating that God is going to take this Sunday school lesson and change somebody's life this week. So I'm not going to wait till Saturday night to get started because I want God to work in me through the lesson Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so that when I stand up in front of those kids, I'm not giving them leftovers or I'm not giving them something impulsive or I'm not giving them something I procrastinated. But this lesson, this truth has dealt with me all week. And here's how I can convey it the very best to these young children. If we believe that God can take that lesson and change a child's life, then why, are we, why would we wait till Saturday to get started? If you're involved in the music ministry and you know that your, your time is coming up on the schedule and you know that that song could soften someone's heart and turn them from hardness to the Lord, why would we wait till the Wednesday before to pick one out? Listen, I've been there before too, and life gets busy. And you understand, life gets busy, but all the things I've been busy with pale in comparison to the spiritual work that God could do through my serving here at Eastside Baptist Church. All the busyness, all the things that my time 
and my attention are giving, given to, they pale in comparison to the spiritual effects of a good Sunday school lesson and God's word being open or a song that really ministers to people's hearts. Listen, if we're giving all of our time and all of our excellence and all of our energy and all of our thought and all of our effort to all of these other things that are good, it's fine. I mean, we need to work and do the best we can and we need to be involved. Anything we do, be involved, be, be, do it the best that you can. But there should be nothing in our lives that gets more time and energy and effort and, and, and all of those other things than our service to God. Here's Nehemiah, and he's not just a man throwing something together. He's given his thought and planning and energy and prayer because he knows the work of God deserves that. How are we treating our ministry opportunities? How we treat today's opportunities will impact how many we get tomorrow. It's true for all of us personally. I also believe that it's true for our church. How we treat the opportunities that we have will directly, I believe, directly impact the opportunities God gives us in the future. It's a scriptural principle. That servant with talents, because he was a faithful steward, he got more talents. You know, we live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and there's 190,000 plus people in our city, and more moving in all the time, and they're all moving into new apartments everywhere because they're all being built all around us. Got people moving in all the time. And how many lights, how many lights with truth, by that I mean how many churches are a lighthouse with truth to this community. Not very many. Now, there are plenty of churches around, but how many are really proclaiming the truth of God? How many? And if we are what we say we are and that we are a lighthouse proclaiming the truth, then God has given Eastside Baptist Church a special opportunity to make a difference in our city. But if the principle is true, then, our, then how we treat this present opportunity will determine whether or not we get the green light to get more opportunities. Nehemiah was a man who went through his authority and he had proven himself day in and day out. He had taken full advantage of the opportunity he had to serve the king. And how have we done with the opportunities that we have to serve our king, not just in Eastside Baptist Church, but in our community, in our workplace. You have an opportunity to reach people that nobody else has. How have you done with that opportunity? Knowing that your reputation and your past experiences and your past dependability and faithfulness and reliability will determine how many more you get. Boy, I sure want to make sure that we are taking full advantage of the opportunities at hand, the people that you work with, the people that you live near, the people that you come in contact with. We have an opportunity both inside this church and outside of our church to do things for God the best we can. And yet sometimes I think, boy, my job gets all my energy. 
or the activities my kids are involved in. That's getting all of my time. Or, you know, I've got these hobbies and they just really take up my time. Or I've got these distractions and I'm so busy with those that we forget that the work that's being done for God is the only work on earth that's making an eternal difference. So why would I give more time and effort and energy and passion and focus to all the other things when the work of God is what deserves my very best. Now, I believe that you can do your very best in everything. I do. I'm not saying that, they, that they're exclusive. I'm not saying, well, if you're going to do your best for God, you can't do your best at work. I believe that you can do your best at work and you can do your best for God. But I think a lot of times Christians, they give their best over here, they have nothing left for God. Listen, we ought to give our very best to God because he deserves it. And just like Nehemiah, He had done the very best with the opportunities that he had been given. And because he went to his authority and did it the right way, then his authority gave him a green light. And he had the biggest opportunity anybody had at that point in history for God, and that is to build a wall around Jerusalem to protect it because it was worth protecting. Now, this is the practical side of this message, and we're going to look at the principal side of these thoughts next week. But I'm going to stop there tonight and just ask you the question, are you giving the work of God the same energy and effort and time and passion and focus? Are you giving Him the work of God that first in your life? Or are you giving those things to other things and, and neglecting the work that God has called you to do right here or the work that he's called you to do outside of these walls. Let's not give God our leftovers. Let's make sure that we put God first in our effort and time and energy and focus. And if we do that, he'll give us more opportunities. Opportunities maybe we never even dreamed we could have. And I can't wait to see what he'll do with a group of people who say, God, you're first. I'm going to be I'm going to treat my ministry to the, with the best excellence I ever possibly could. I'm going to be here every week. I'm going to be dependable, reliable, on time. I'm going to start early. I'm going to give it my very best because, God, you deserve it. And when we do that, we start to see more opportunities, meaning maybe we start to see more people coming in. Because we're doing this the right way and we're doing it with all of our heart, maybe we don't even have to go invite somebody and they drive by and say, hey, there's a church, I want to go try that out. And maybe because they walk in and we do things the right way, we do something that affects their heart and then they are knit here now and they stick and then they become somebody who says, I want to give God my best too. And now we've got a fellow laborer along with us. And listen, this is a process that we need to jump on board with. Just like Nehemiah, God's work deserves our best. We need to to start today to deal with the opportunities we have to the very best that we can. And God will give us more. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.